You're listening to the Conference Talk Podcast, where it's conference weekend every weekend. Each weekend, we discuss talks from the most recent general conference of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. That's right. We'll share some insights, make some connections, and hopefully have a bit of fun as we study the words of the awesome men and women that God has called to direct His church in these, the latter days. I'm Matthew Watkins. And I'm Michael Young. This episode, we are talking about Elder David A. Bednar's address, Put on Thy Strength, O Zion. That's right. From the October 2022 General Conference, and at the time of this recording, is one of our very last episodes before we get started with the April 2023 General Conference. We were just talking about how excited we are for that opportunity. I can't, I can't believe it's already here again. <laughs> and I'm also very happy that it's almost here again. I feel like... I was going to say, that, oh, that's, that's what you just expressed. Maybe for Daylight Savings Time, which also happened today, but... <laughs> oh, no, is it that time again? Yeah. It was brutal. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, not to... But it does mean that conference is soon, right? <laughs> yeah, the, the, the change happens. You're like, okay, conference is just around the corner. Yeah, we're um, I'm actually, we're practicing hard in choir, getting ready. <laughs> I, I get to sing in three sessions again, so it's it's really neat to actually be there. And there's an incredible spirit in the room, and yeah, it's, it's really just one of the highlights of my year, getting to be up up close and personal with that event. Now, do you get to tell us what? songs are going to be sung or is that very hush hush oh it's hush hush they, they they specifically said like that these are confidential for the moment <laughs> so uh no i i think you'll you'll there's some there's some great stuff some stuff we haven't done in a while too so that i am um, I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing how it all you know intertwines with the talks because it always just mess seems to mesh so well with what's being said so yeah. Every six months, we see that something that's unplanned looks incredibly planned and well put together. Yes, <laughs> I know it. Yeah, I, I've done a lot of conferences now, and it, it it seriously happens every single time. Like you just kind of learn to expect it. Yeah, and what well, I think that ties in well to what President Nelson said when he encouraged us this last conference, I believe, to expect miracles. Yep. Not just to pray for them, not just to want them, not just to wish for them, but to expect them. Yeah, I. And I, I've seen enough in my life that uh, I've, I've come to expect them. Uh, some just really incredible things happen when you're applying your faith unitedly with other people of faith. It's, uh, I think that's only, it's only going to get more incredible as we get closer and closer uh, to the second coming. Well, that's awesome. And speaking of the second coming, uh-huh, yeah. Elder Bednar's talk. Wow. Yeah, this is a wow. That's definitely what he is pointing towards. That, that's a good segue, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I'd heard this parable before, but it wasn't one that had stuck out too much to me until this talk. And then I'm like, oh my goodness. See, like that's um, that applies to us a lot more than I ever really considered, right? Mm-hmm. My goodness. So um, j- just to recap. The, the parable that he is focusing on in this is the one uh, where the king invites a bunch of people to the royal marriage feast. And in order to enter the feast, every person is given a wedding garment. Um, later in the talk, he talks about how the, these are garments of the kings, like that everyone is allowed to, be, to wear royal apparel in order to attend the marriage feast. And then there, it contrasts those who... Uh, who do put on the garment with a person who decides uh, not to put on the garment and to come in through another way and talks about what each one of these 
elements in the story is is pointing towards. Yep. So I identified three groups he discusses from the parable. Yes. So there's those that are invited, or he says bidden. Now, I made a mental note when he said bidden, because I will say, oh, that's a synonym for invited. Those who are invited to the marriage feast. It's a little bit stronger than that. Yes. Bidden, of course, is I think, what is it called? You're a teacher, right? Participle, past participle? <laughs> yes. Of bide, or to bade, right? So when you read in the scripture, it says Jesus bade his disciples follow him. He's not saying, hey, you know, if you feel so inclined, you're welcome to, you know, maybe follow me, guys. He's saying, hey, come, follow me. Follow me. So that's that's what the scriptures are talking about when they say that they are bidden to the wedding feast. And Elder Bednar points out, by the way, this is not just some rando. It's like, hey, there's a marriage going on at my house, nine o'clock. Be there if you're cool. Right. This is the king and it's the marriage of his son. And he's saying this is effectively a royal edict. You are not only invited, but you are expected to attend this wedding feast. You have been notified well in advance. You have no excuse not to come. And this is like maybe like just shy of a command. In fact, I think Elder Bednar doesn't mention it, but in one version of this parable, Jesus tells, when they say no, he just goes and destroys the town. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you guys oh, don't no. want it? Okay, well, I'll show you. <laughs> but the, but the, the three groups, there's the group of those who, there's those who receive the invitation and then decline. Right, just flat out disobey the king. Yeah. No, we don't care about you. We don't care about your son. We don't care about your kingdom. We want to have nothing to do with that. Go, you know, go get married by yourself. That's the first group. Reject the invitation. Yeah. The second group are those who um, are basically asked as a secondary, as like a backup. Just oh, just go grab everyone. Invite them all. Not just those of my kingdom that I initially, this initial small set I invited. Go grab everyone. We're gonna have a wedding, <laughs> right? And then of those group who actually accept the invitation to come, there's those who wear the garment and there's those who don't. So those are kind of the different groups I see breaking down here in the parable. Yeah, I I like what uh, what Elder Bernard says kind of near the the beginning. As as we're jumping into this and what all this all means, um, he gives a sort of way to look at it, a framework, if you will. He says, the intended meaning or message of a parable typically is not expressed explicitly. So we're not going to see it right right there. Rather, the story only conveys divine truth to a receiver in proportion with his or her faith in God. So it it has it's a story, it's truths that need to be unlocked through faith. Personal spiritual preparation and willingness to learn. So those three keys. Faith in God, personal spiritual preparation, willingness to learn. Thus, an individual must exercise moral agency and actively ask, seek, and knock to discover the truths embedded in a parable. In other words, you got to kind of be in that third good group already. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you, Inclined towards that group. Yeah, actually. it's not a passive action to understand a parable. You have, you have to really do, your, do some digging and come, in, come to it with the right frame of mind. And he even says at, right after that, that I earnestly pray that the Holy Ghost will enlighten each of us as we now consider the importance of the parable of the royal marriage feast. So he's saying, even if you've looked at this before, we really need to be enlightened about what this actually means, that this is a parable for our time. And these are the keys that you need to use in order to dig into this parable a little more. So and I'll add a little bit here. Let's pay attention to that, right? I mean, if you're the first president of Corinth 12, you're like, hey, we really think the church members ought to focus on this parable a little bit more. You'd say, well, guess what? We've got a New Testament year that we're in the middle of. 
let's just, when we cover that section of the New Testament, let's just add a little blurb in the Sunday School Manual and call it good. No, they took time out of General Conference to do this. This is big. This is focus. <laughs> yeah, that's that really should make you stand up and take notice. Like This is one of the apostles say, put their whole talk about this parable. That, that yeah, that means something. That means it's it's urgent that we understand this. So let's let's dive in a little bit and see what we can learn from the different aspects of this parable, the, what things might be represented, and what we might need to take out of this. And like I said, this is this is just us. Uh, I encourage you to take a look at this parable yourself and apply these keys of receiving spiritual revelation and being spiritually prepared seeking and asking to discover what this parable means in your life and what kind of preparation it is asking of you. So I'm going to start off here. I'm not very good at parables. I learned this in my 11th grade English class. (laughs) Yeah. When we're like trying to interpret poetry, right? And the teacher's like putting out something and, you know, you read it and on the, on the face level, it's like, it's talking about, oh, all is quiet, all is dark. I close my eyes, I fall asleep. She's like, everyone tell me what this means to you. And kids are like, well, this makes me think of the finality of death and uh, <laughs> the, that life is meaningless or some existentialist interpretation, all this stuff. And they're going through all these things. She's like, oh, that's good. Yeah, everyone, you know, there's no wrong answers. And I said, I think he's talking about going to sleep. She said, no, you're wrong. <laughs> well, you said there's no, well, you're wrong. Because that's literalist reading. I was just, I was no good at it, right? In English class, like write a poem. I wrote a jingle for toothpaste. Like that's, <laughs> that's how my brain works. I'm a literal okay, guy. So uh, I catch things at the surface level and dig in hard there, but going a little bit more profound, deep, that's, that's a struggle for me. So the surface level analogies I see here is a lot of temple. Realness, oh, absolutely. All throughout. And let's start with the garment. This paragraph from Elder Bednar jumped out at me. He says, the custom in those days was for the host of a wedding feast, in this parable of the king, to provide garments for the wedding guests. First of all, that's way cool. I didn't even know. Imagine how expensive weddings are now. And now you're like, oh, guess what? Also, we're going to clothe everyone. Everyone. Right? Instead of, just, instead of just, oh, let's give a tie to all the groomsmen so they match. Now it's, hey, everyone, welcome to the steak center. Here's 75 people. Let's get you all dressed. <laughs> Not just the bridesmaids wearing matching dresses. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, but maybe this, this helps with the cost. He says, such wedding garments were simple, nondescript robes that all attendees wore. In this way, rank and station were eliminated, and everyone at the feast could mingle as equals. Now, when I first read that, I remembered years and years back to my temple prep class, where it talks about temple clothing being the exact same, that we all wear white. And whether you're a general authority or a new member going through for the first time, a plumber, an electrician, a billionaire, we all wear the same clothes. It is this great equalizer within the temple that, as Elder Bednar says, rank and station are eliminated. Simple, nondescript clothes. So that that caught my attention right away, talking about the wedding. Well, and then we we read in Genesis, and it's emphasized in the temple, how the the garments given to Adam and Eve, and that we now symbolically wear, were given by the Savior. And they were meant as a way to cover cover them and like the not not just physically cover them but like a representation of what the savior does in covering your um your sins yeah from the word kafar the, the word atonement comes from 
the cover. cover. Yeah, exactly. So it it really is this it's beautiful image of like not only um, is everybody at the same station, but everyone it, it universally has been covered. That that's there at the feast. Uh, that that's such a that's yep. a really powerful statement. But when you think about that, yep. And he and he talks about as you pointed out. He says, because, and this is where Elder Bednar enters into some divine apostolic speculation, I would say. He basically says, okay, well, since he's inviting them in from the highways and literally just grabbing people off the street, say, hey, you want to have a wedding with the king? And they're just coming in. They don't have time to go get changed and everything and look their best. And so the garment he's providing for them is probably from his own wardrobe, from the king's wardrobe. They're taking aspects of the king upon themselves. Again, you think of what we were told in the temple. Right, that everything represents Christ, including what we take yeah. upon us. <laughs> and then he um he talks about the man that he's going through and he sees here's someone that has received and accepted the invitation to enter into the marriage to the bride. And of course we, we know that Christ is talked about as the bride of the yeah. church a lot. And he's like, So you're not wearing the garment. Why are you not wearing a and this is a quote from Elder Brenner, why are you not wearing a wedding garment, even though one was provided for you? I underline that for a few reasons. Number one, it says one that was provided for you. Again, we don't talk about the exact wording of the temple, but when the garment is spoken of, yes, you bought them from the distribution center, right? You, yeah. you purchased them for $3, $4, whatever the price is nowadays. But when it speaks of the garment, it says one has been provided to you. So that wording caught my mind right away, temple wording. And the king is asking that, and immediately in my mind's eye, I saw an interview for a temple recommend renewal. Now, those who are on Facebook may see that there's this giant movement within the church, um, or at least it certainly seems that way. My wife is part of some um, Latter-day Saint women Facebook uh -huh. groups. And every once in a while, she'll show me. She's like, can you believe what they're saying on this? I said, uh, and so every once in a while, I ask when I see her on Facebook, I'm like, oh, how are the apostates doing? <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> there's some ridiculous stuff. Uh, she was even talking about like, hey. You know, maybe next time you're in a Temple Recommend interview and someone says, you know, do you wear the garment faithfully day and night as instructed in the endowment? You say, I don't feel comfortable talking about my underwear. Right. And I'm just thinking this response from Elder Bednar right here. If I were a bishop or stake president, because I'm like, how do you respond to that kind of question politely, delicately? I maybe just pull out Elder Bednar's talk and say, why, quote, why are you not wearing a wedding garment, even though one was provided? And it's the garments themselves are symbolic. It's it's taking it's that being covered by Christ. It, it's being it's the covenants. It's that outward symbol. It's not it's not the the fabric itself that saves you. It is the uh, it, it is a taking upon yourself, yeah. Christ, literally upon yourself. It's just a reminder that you have done that. If you, if you've been through the temple, that's something you've done. And so yeah, if he's asking this, like, why didn't you take advantage? of the covenants that you've made, even though they were provided to you. So it was another yeah. way that we could look at that, which is... I never thought about it that way, that now you're making me think of the sacrament. Yeah. <laughs> it says, this is how we show that we are willing to take upon us the name of his son and re basically renew that covenant. When I put my garments on every day, that's renewing my covenant in a sense. Absolutely. Right? And it... It, and I think it's just the, the nature of how we are as humans is we, we need to be reminded of things over and over and over again. <laughs> you know, even go, going back 
to ancient Israel. They had all of these things that, that constantly reminded them. Uh, this week, I got a, I had the really cool opportunity to go through one of the um, tabernacle replicas of the, of the ancient tabernacle that was set up. I guess that's a thing in Utah. Uh, yeah, it is. So like, it was actually it goes. It's actually going around to different cities, and it was it was actually right by my workplace. I work at BYU, and it was right by my building, and so it's it's a, a scale replica of the ancient tabernacle. And then you, you go in and they have pe- volunteers at each like spot, like explain the different uh, significances of all the different pieces of equipment. And that so you just march right into the Holy of Holies. Or yeah, no, like- we, we could. Yeah. They had an Ark of the Covenant there and that you could look in and you could see the, the, the like a replica of the stone tablets and the budding rod and the pot of manna, you know, the whole nine yards. But it was so interesting. Like uh, so many of the things in there were, were reminders and were, were, were ways to re- help the children of Israel remember their covenants and to look to look forward to the atoning sacrifice at that point. Um, and then I, it was really neat is I, I saw that earlier in the day. And then I happened to be, I had an appointment at the temple that evening. And I, I got to kind of, you know, compare and contrast a little bit and see like there's some... a little time travel. Oh, I know. Just a little, just a little, <laughs> I'll, I'll take the, uh, I'll take the place where they're, they're not, you know, slaughtering animals. I'm sure it smells a lot better in our, 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 our current temples. But um, yeah, I just think, <laughs> oh man, that, that must've been a little unpleasant <laughs> at times. Um, but, oh, well, first you're like, oh, it's like a barbecue. And you're like, oh wait, the hair. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, and, yeah. and for each one, they, they, they showed like the altar where there's literally like these horns that come out of the side of the altar. And like they, they would put blood from the animal on the, on the horns for each person that brought in the sacrifice. So I'm like, yeah, that would get a little uh, gross after a while. Um, anyway, but I, I was able to like look and compare and contrast and like, goodness, like so there's so many things that have, that you saw in the tabernacle that have a, an analog in the, the modern temple and that we're, we're still remembering. Uh, so those covenants, we're looking back to the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ. They were looking forward, but both of these things uh, you know, have us fo- squarely focused on Christ in the meridian of time. It's the reminders. And again, talking to Elder Bednar's talk, when he talks about this parable, he says back in those days, they would be notified well in advance and they would receive reminders of the promise they had made to attend the wedding feast. Yeah. And uh, when we're looking at the, the wedding feast itself, I, it's very easy to see how that can also be a representation of the Savior's second coming and how right now yeah, we are being invited to prepare ourselves for that wedding feast. Uh, to, to symbolically have that, well, we maybe even literally have the garments on, but also to symbolically prepare ourselves so that we are uh, so pure and uh, able to em- enter the feast when it's actually happening. And I think right now, uh, <laughs> talks like this can be the reminder that we're wait- that that hey, this is coming. And it us- and I, I think it says in here too, like the the reminder was just a couple days before the actual event so that they they gave the initial one like a week before well no the last reminder was the The day day of of. yes the day of so if this is a reminder it's something we need to take very seriously and the brethren are not given to theorizing on timing and so i won't go too far into that but elder anderson 
was it in this talk, conference? I'll have to look it up. We'll look at the link it in the show notes. In one of his general conference talks in the past few, I'm talking like the past year, he said he was just talking about like making improvements. And then he just off the cuff, he just guys said, if the savior has not returned in the next 50 years, what would your life look like? Bob? I'm like, wait a minute, hold on a second. What do you mean oh, if he hasn't returned? That was, that was the BYU devotional. I was there actually. Was that it what was, it was? Yeah, okay. it was when he came to BYU recently. I listened to that. I said, did he just say what I think he said? Yeah, I, well, th- th- but, um, that's an if. Yeah, yeah I, I don't know. We don't know. Oh, it's an if. It's an if for sure. But when, he, when they use language like that, again, I'll say this. I'll say this every time. I don't think the prophets are prone to hyperbole. No. When they're talking about it being soon and President Nelson says time is running out, he means that. I don't know if it means 10 years, 20 years, 50 years, 75 years, whatever, but he means soon. And here's the thing for a Latter-day Saint like me, it's so easy to say, well, they've been saying soon since 1820, even back then, right? Before Jesus died, the disciples like, so end of the world, that's like really soon, right? (laughs) He's like, well, you're going to you're going to see Jerusalem destroyed. And like, oh, Jerusalem destroyed. Oh, yeah, well, the, the saints, you know, 70 AD, end of the world's here. You know, and and it feels like, OK, well, you're talking about the second coming. I'm not going to be alive at the second coming. I don't think maybe my kids, maybe my grandkids. Maybe I don't know. Who knows when it's going to be? But chances statistically highly unlikely that I'm going to be alive at the second coming. It's very easy to get caught in those thoughts and then slumber like the virgins, the foolish virgins with the oil. Yeah. Right. But here's something I've I've learned relatively recently. maybe. Everyone else learned this in seminary, and I was asleep. Um, early morning seminary, yeah, as you know. But I've been reading up on the second coming a lot. And something that is clear from the scriptures and from the teachings of the general authorities and the prophets is that saints from every dispensation and every epoch of time are going to greet the Lord when he comes. So when we talk about preparing for the second coming, we're not talking about, oh, if we happen to live to see it, maybe our ancestors, blah, blah. No, no, no. If you are righteous and you're called forth in the morning of the first resurrection, guess who's going to be there for the second coming? You. <laughs> right and so we're talking about the millennium and we're saying oh that blessed generation who's going to be able to see that no maybe we're resurrected beings but that's going to be us if we play our cards right and so we're talking about a wedding that even if we are not alive mortally when that time happens we are still going to be guests at the wedding this is directly applicable to us today to prepare whether christ comes in 550 or 500 years yeah, uh, you know i I keep on thinking about what the prophet said in, in, in his remarks in last conference, where he said, I invite you to become the people that are are worthy to welcome Christ back to the earth. More than inviting, he's yeah, bidding he's us. Bidding us. Yeah. I, 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 Exhorting. You are bidden yeah. to do this. But I'm, I'm, that's not language that they've used in the past. That that makes yeah. me, you know, raise an eyebrow or two. <laughs> I've only got two, so. Um, <laughs> <laughs> if you raise three eyebrows. <laughs> so, what about those who don't take the invitation? Elder Bednar talks about that, the unrobed guest, right? Or we can think of the five foolish. Yeah, virgins. well, it, it, oh. right, right here, it's really interesting how it talks about the people who, uh, who rejected the invitation. He said, uh, but they made light of it and went their ways, one to his farm, another to his merchandise. So that that feels very much like okay, you know the the cares of the world. You know, I, I'm going back to my business. I'm going back to my home. You know, like I'm I'm, I'm just going to go take care of my stuff and la 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 la. You know, like I you know I can't prepare for the second coming. I got to exactly to like ah, uh, you know, have you seen inflation? You know, just just worrying just about 
uh, you know, kind of your mortal cares and not uh, taking care of your spiritual preparation. That That's really what that sounds like to me. Yeah. And that's the first group. And I can honestly not resonate with, but I can understand the first group and respect the first group a little bit better, a little <laughs> bit better. Jesus also told the parable of the two sons, which just comes to my mind. He says, the first son says, no, I'm not going to come. And then afterwards came and worked. And the second son said, sure, dad, I'll get it done. And then just never showed up and broke his promise. He says, okay, both these sons made mistakes. Which one was better? Like, well, the one that repented later. God has respect for people who are forthright and direct, right? So the first group is just like, I am not interested in coming to your wedding feast. The second group he talks about, the unrobed guest, that's someone who said yes, accepted the invitation, and then did not follow through on the promise that he had made. And he quotes Elder Talmadge, and this is more serious. He says, the unrobed guest was guilty of neglect, okay, so laziness, that's fine, intentional disrespect, or some more grievous offense, right? Which is why, you know, he's just, in in one version of the parable, the people who turned down the king's invitation, he's just like, okay, well, they're just not going to come in. That's fine. They'll they'll be them. You know, they want their business. They got their business, right? But then the unrobed guest, he says, no, you, you are going to outer darkness. And there's going to be weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth for what you have done, entering into this sacred space, entering into the king's presence without following the king's rules. And then some more temple language where uh, Elder Bednar talks about basically just the horrible disrespect this guy showed by not wearing the wedding garment that was provided to him. He said, this guy passed the attendant sentinels at the portal. So when he says sentinels, like, oh, that's that Brigham yeah. Young quote that we yeah, hear about all the, the temple. Time. Yeah. And, he, and so he's not, even though he was an invited guest, he, Elder Bednar now labels him an intruder. Boy, that's some serious that language. That really is. Yeah, like no, nobody wants to be the intruder at the second, you know, at the at the wedding feast. Ah, man. He says he exemplified blatant disrespect for both the king and his son. He did not simply lack a wedding garment; rather, he chose not to wear one. Again, I'm thinking of all that stuff on social media saying, "Oh yeah, this patriarch asking us about our undergarments, our, our undergarments." He rebelliously refused to dress appropriately for the occasion. The man desired the honor of attending the wedding feast participating in the king's place but did not want to follow the customs of the king he wanted to do things his own way right oh bishop how dare you talk to me about this oh these standards his lack of proper dress revealed his inner rebellion against yeah, the king and again i i think that the very and uh they a lot of them like to use the term progressive but elder bednar says no it's it's rebellion you know when you say i want to do things my own way these standards are good enough for me. I don't want to wear this garment. That's an act of rebellion if you have made covenants to do so. And Hilda Bender is kind of saying it pretty clearly and very seriously as an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, you can just see it's, that root cause is the pride there. You know, thinking that you know better, that re- the rebellion is always caused by personal pride. And, you know, just saying, I don't have to, to wear that. Come on. You know, like... Uh, well, now that I've been on my soapbox, I'm going to go ahead and stab myself with it, right? <laughs> Once we've talked about garments, right, my surface level reading is temple garment. At the very end, Elder Bednar extends it well beyond the temple garment, and he calls it the garment of like faith and discipleship or something, saying, hey, oh, well, guess what? Any time that you seek to excuse yourself, to disobey something that has come from the servants of the Lord, 
that's the kind of rebellion we're talking about too. So while others rebellion may be actually choosing not to wear the temple garment, and that's the one that I'm seeing getting huge traction on the socials yeah. nowadays. For me, maybe it's, oh, anything that the prophet says, it doesn't jive with my political opinion. Or getting super hard and dogging on people who are struggling with aspects of church history. That's something that I'm super guilty of is I come across as super you know, feisty on these things. And that's an act of rebellion as well. So it, to soften everything, this is something that really does apply to all of us. Absolutely. And it's really interesting like he, how he, he kind of wraps it up. He says, the parable then concludes with this penetrating scripture, for many are called, but few are chosen. But then says, the Joseph Smith translation adds to that, says, for many are called, but few are chosen, wherefore all do not have the wedding garment. So that there, it, it's showing that it's not just like, oh, you know, that God has his, his favorite chosen uh, children that are going to get to come and everyone who's not chosen is, oh, that's too bad. But that chosen... Yeah, we're seed of Abraham. That's right. Yeah, exactly. They Like, I, I can raise up from these stones children under Abraham. That's what, what, what Christ said. And, but that being chosen is an act of agency. He links that to the, the Doctrine and Covenants. That where we have this the same conversation about behold there are many called but few are chosen why are they not chosen because their hearts are set so much upon the things of the world and they aspire to the honors of men and he goes on and says I don't I believe the implication of these verses is quite straightforward God does not have a list of favorites to which we must all must hope our names someday will be added you know there's not like the I kind of think of like Santa Claus you know the naughty list and the nice list. You know, like there's, um, we've been the Nets agency. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And so he does not limit limit the chosen to a restricted few. Instead, our hearts, our desires, our honoring of sacred gospel covenants and ordinances, our obedience to the commandments, and most importantly, the Savior's redeeming grace and mercy, determine whether we we are counted as one of God's chosen. So to be chosen, we first have to choose him, and then we we can become chosen. When I was in ninth grade seminary, and we first learned the scripture of many are called, but few are chosen, it it rubbed me the wrong way. I bristled. I'm like, why does this seem so wrong? And as I was pondering on it in seminary, this alternate wording, slight wording tweak of the scripture came to me. Many are called, but few have chosen. And I said, oh, I get it now. I get it now when they say are chosen is because they have chosen. And I love the Elder Bednar. I, I think that he's picking up on the same channels I am. <laughs> Trademark is mine. Uh, he says, to be or become chosen is not an exclusive status conferred upon us, right? You think about things acting, things being acted upon. He's saying, this is not an act upon you so much. Rather, you and I ultimately can choose to be chosen through the righteous exercise of moral agency. I, th- I call this the sorting principle. <laughs> yeah. What is very apparent is that there are so many blessings God is willing to give, but we don't receive because we don't reach out and call them down, that we don't reach out and ask for them. Harry Potter and the sorting hat. Why was he put in a Gryffindor? You know, because this is like the, the third gospel is Harry Potter. <laughs> why was he put in a Gryffindor when he had proclivities to Slytherin? And sorting hat was kind of telling that way it's because in all the history of hogwarts no one had thought to tell the sorting hat where they wanted to go they just sat there and passively received judgment right i i I was thinking about this principle in my last calling um when i was called as elders quorum president 
right before they set me apart, I made a request. I said, if you would please bless me with the following things because I'm going to really need them. And people will say, wow, that is really gauche. That is really just like, you know, presumptuous. I don't think it oh. is to go and humbly, you know, it's, thy will be done always. But to go to God and say, I want to get involved. I want to make this happen. You know, Nephi says, I'm going to make a boat. You just show me where the more, where the, where the tools are so I can molt some ore, right? He didn't say, oh, give me every little thing. And you just, you know, point every single way and I'll go do it. He's like, okay, I got a plan. I know how to do certain aspects of this. I'm just going to need some help filling in the gaps. I think that's what the Lord wants us to do, to choose to be chosen, to actively push ourselves in there and say, the invitation is extended to everyone. So I'm going to take it by the horns and I'm going to call down the powers of heaven and ask for blessings that I know that I need, even if sometimes they sound a little presumptuous. Trust my heart that I that I know that I'm willing to take whatever. But if you could, this would be. Yeah, really we're great. supposed to seek spiritual gifts, and I I think especially when we're on the the Lord's errand, we we qualify for that. And so yeah, expect yeah, miracles. He's waiting right? for us to ask that. for them, <laughs> and, and and is willing to give them. So I I think that's a great idea. It, it just taking that reflective moment and seeing like where where am I lacking? But what spiritual gift would I need? in order to accomplish this work. I don't think that's anything wrong with How that. can I choose exactly. to be chosen? So I I love how he, he ends, ends this too. He says that, uh, he, he talks about the Old Testament prophet Haggai and says, now therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. So we're, we, we read this parable, we hear about the different groups of people, and then it's, okay, it's your turn. Consider which category you're currently falling into. And also with the promise that it's also not late, too late yet to change your category. <laughs> like if you're like in the, ah, I don't know, you know, I'm going back to my farm category. You could be like, oh, never mind. No, no, just kidding. <laughs> hey, King, um, I know I said, but then I saw you inviting everyone from the highway. I, I should come. come. I'm, I'm sorry about so, that. Do you, have, do you have a garment in my size? Thanks. He, the name of the talk is put on thy strength, O Zion. Then he, he references some of these uh, scriptures where it says, Awake, awake, put on thy strength, O Zion. For Zion must increase in beauty and in holiness. Her borders must be enlarged. Her, stri- her stakes must be strengthened. Yes, verily I say unto you, Zion must arise and put on her beautiful garments. Like, that's such a great image of so you stand up you're clothed in beautiful spotless garments ready to go um to the feet tabernacle choir member all arrayed in spotless light white <laughs> well, well in truth well, light yeah right. we will we will sing the songs of praise yes yes we will but it, just that image that the lord has this this beauty this holiness the strength to put on us just like a garment you know, like, he's not just saying literally we're going to have to put garments. Like he's going to give us, or in in other words, endow us with this strength and the beauty and the holiness that he himself possesses. And like, what could be better than that? Like, well, it, what a blessing that, that that is available to us. And I, I think that's that's exactly the reason that they've that they've been stressing so much. Like, get to the temple. Get there as often as you can. Make make an appointment with the Lord and keep it with exactness. I believe is what he uh, what he said. Mm-hmm. He also promised that increased time in the temple will bless our lives in ways nothing yeah, else. Yeah, and that's 
you know, we, we literally are clothed <laughs> in white there. But more importantly, we are clothed with these things. That is how uh, the most powerful way that I know of to put on that strength. You know, we want to be Zion. We are Zion. So, but if we, he's inviting us to put on that strength, put on that symbolically, this garment, beauty and holiness and strength so that we will be prepared. Yeah. Whenever that happens, and it, we're told that, that most of the world will be completely caught off guard by it. But for the saints who are, are watching that we'll be, we'll know the season, not the exact time, but the season. You know, I, I have three children, <laughs> uh, the, the labor pains, like when you're about to bring a baby's about to be born, you know, okay, wife goes into labor. It's the season. <laughs> I don't know exactly when this baby's going to be born, but it's coming. <laughs> I, I can see the distance between yes. the contractions. It's That's not going right. to be long. Well, it's like um, for our last, um, she went into labor on one day and we thought like, oh, he was going to be born that day. And like, oh, that'd be cool. That was actually one of her uncles was born that had that same birthday. And we're like, oh, wouldn't that be cool if they had the same birthday? But then she was born 12, 23, you know, 23 minutes after midnight the next day. And so like, yeah, it, it kind of shows that like, we don't know exactly when, but it's going to be soon. There are some pretty powerful signs. Like if you think about childbirth, yes, very dramatic signs. And I've been told I'm not allowed to talk about childbirth because <laughs> <laughs> that's right. my wife will give me dirty looks when she listens oh, to this boy, podcast. No. Oh, you think you know so much. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, yeah, of course I don't know from personal experience, but just, just been <laughs> trying to be supportive during those times. But yeah, the, the, anyway, the idea is that there are going to be these, there are these mighty signs that those who are watching for can be like, okay, this is the season. So we need to be ready anytime because uh, also, like, like I said, I've got three kids. Some of them literally took all day to come into the world. And some of the, well, my, my middle one, it was so fast. It was the, you know, literally 3 a.m. Exactly. Thief in the night, little guy. Uh, and, it, you know, it was super quick. It just like it happened and like, oh, my gosh, he's here. You know, like. <laughs> well, hmm. Too bad the doctor was. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. It was. Uh, oh, man, it was quite the night. but. Um, we don't know how that's going to be. You know, we we, get, we know it's the season. We don't, but it could be sooner or later. So this this talk just gives us a sort of a laser focus of okay, what do we need to do? Get in the temple, put on the wedding garment because the wedding's yep. happening soon. Yeah, and like I said, this is some this is a talk that you can go over yourself and um, use it to help you consider your own ways, decide what what it, that looks like in your life. What do you need to do in order to to take that wedding garment upon yourself? It's going to look a little different for different, another, for different people, I think. Yeah. And another plug for the temple. At the time that we're recording this, there have been substantial changes to the presentation of they the endowment. They are wonderful. Yep. And obviously, we're not going to give too many details into them, but this is like a once-every-generation type change. Absolutely. It is dramatic and substantial, and it's a testament, again, going back to the parable, the king bent over backwards to accommodate the guests that he invited to that wedding. And when I go to the temple and I look at the effort and the changes that must have been laboriously prayed oh, yeah. over, I think about how willing God is to condescend. And again, tell their Bednar's credit, parables, you know, the temple's like parables on steroids, <laughs> right? Really hard to understand stuff. But he's trying to make things even clearer. 
And it is just so amazing. It is so wonderful and fantastic. And so I'm, I'm sure everyone who listens to, because our, our, our podcast audience is the best podcast audience in the church. Um, I'm sure you guys have already been many times and you guys are temple workers and everything. But if you have not yet gone to the temple, go to the temple, participate in the feast and experience the rich blessings that are there that just get richer every yeah, single it, time. It truly is remarkable. And I, I just, I sat there and was like, I couldn't just help feeling how inspired this was and how many people this is going to bless and just help them dig deeper in what's being taught in the temple. So I, oh, I, I'm just, what a time to be alive, you know? Yeah. And to those who are followers of, so Michael and I are both music yeah. guys. One small thing that I can talk about, I appreciated. They included a lot more music. They in the did. Yeah. That even was, like awesome. parts before where there were, it was just, just talking. random instructions. Yeah, like random instructions. There's it's like music. this beautiful, like music going on. I'm like, Oh, that's actually one of the first things I noticed that was different. It's like, Oh my goodness. That's, that's glorious. <laughs> yep. So go to the temple music. Yes. Nerds. Yes. <laughs> Thanks for listening to another episode of the conference talk podcast. This episode, we discuss Elder Bednar's awesome address, Put On Thy Strength, O Zion. If you enjoyed this episode, give us a five-star rating. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, and everywhere you get your podcasts. You can find links to all of our podcast platforms in our website, conferencetalk.org. Conferencetalk.org is also where you can follow us on social media, drop us a comment, check out the show notes, find the resources we mentioned in this episode, there were several, and learn more about us, your hosts. Uh, if you want to follow me, Michael D. Young, you can follow me at authormichaelyoung.com. And you can find me, Matthew Watkins, at my blog, powerinthebook.com, or you can follow me mainly on Twitter. My handle is joyfulrepenter, based off of President Nelson's uh, 2018 instructions. But while we always appreciate new followers, it's better to follow the prophet and the apostles themselves. 100%. Even though we love speaking about the church and our leaders, we do not speak for them. Everything said on this podcast represents our own personal opinions. So join us next week for some more personal opinions. Next week on the Conference Talk Podcast. And get to the temple.